be no loyalty except loyalty to the party. They're so threatened by the idea that a conservative speaker might be persuasive and interesting and funny. One man's vulgarity is another man's lyric. And I would say one person's offensive speech is somebody else's challenging the status quo, rocking the boat speech. Are you looking for a podcast that contains verbal safe spaces and is free from trigger warnings? If so, you've come to the wrong place. Because we expect our conversations to be filled with rigorous debate, discussion, and even disagreement. Welcome to the Socially Sensitive Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. I'm your host, David. And I'm Wolfie. Yay, I'm Wolfie's Yay. back. Yeah. You ever seen this clip? I don't know if I ever played it for you before. Sowell? I know that name. Why do I okay. know that name? Thomas Sowell is a big, uh, famous conservative. He's at uh, Stanford. Um, he's at the Hoover Institute, I think. Anyway, so, you know, within this, I mean, first, just to set all this up, we should set up briefly how does culture work, right? And the way culture works is, is that, it, like genetic evolution, it works based on blind copying. So what ends up happening is, is that you are in awe of people, right? You look up to people, and so you blindly copy the things they do. And specifically, you start by blindly copying from the outside, and then you work in. Thomas Sowell is a black guy. Right. And Thomas Sowell has for years and years and years been trying to fight racism. But he's been trying to fight racism by having a conversation about culture. Right. And the fact that there are essentially two different sort of, you know, we're speaking broadly here. Right. But this is for the purposes of communication. Um, We're going to tell a simple story to start off with. Right. So broadly speaking, he puts two different cultures of people with dark skin next to each other. And one culture is these people from the West Indies, and one culture is this group of people who grew up in the South with slavery and all that sort of stuff. Now, what one group, the West Indies group, does really well. So a, a lot of the successful black people, people like Colin Powell, are originally from that cultural heritage. The other group is the group that you find in ghettos and African-American communities and all that sort of stuff. They don't do well, right? They don't get good education. They, you know, shoot each other. There are all these sorts of things. And the reason why Sol has been telling this story is because he's been trying to say, you know, when liberals look at the people in ghettos, they say, ah, racism. That's why they're not succeeding. And Sol is saying, no, it's not. Because if you look at this group from the West Indies, they also came from the experience of slavery. There was slavery in the West Indies. They are also black, so they also face racism, and yet they do well. So it has to be something else. And that other thing is the fact that these black people who are in the South, there's always been a big question, were black people robbed of their culture, or did they preserve their authentic African culture? And what Sowell is saying is that they were robbed of their culture, and so they picked up the culture of the people around them, and the people around them were rednecks. And if you look at the white redneck culture and the black redneck culture, they have a lot of the same values. They don't particularly respect education, they love Jesus, they use violence in their conflicts, and um, they, you know... Uh, there's there's just you know a lot of the same values and a lot of the same outcomes and even ebonics which is you know black english is actually all from the west of england so it's actually this what it's from the west of england so for example if you go to places like cornwall um there used to be this amazing um 
these amazing ads on British TV, right, for this uh, this Devon custard or whatever. And they would always say, Devon knows how they make it so creamy. And they all talk like this, right? And so it doesn't sound like black English. But they do say things like, I be doing that, and we be doing this, and you be doing that, and they be doing that. And so there's that use of that copula, be, right, where instead of saying, I am, you are, he is, she is, they are, they just say, I be, you be, we be, they be, which is the classic feature of black English, African-American vernacular English. Right. Now, <coughs> the point is, is that... Mind-blower. Mind-blower. Now, let's imagine that, how do you think that Thomas Sowell has been received by liberal America? <laughs> Not well. Not right? well. Not well. And so, for example, Sowell has a book called Black Rednecks, White Liberals. Okay? And his whole point is that you know, if you actually, and you know, again, like Sowell is, you know, he researches the shit out of this stuff. He really does his work. Now, if you, if you look at the experience of African Americans after slavery, after slavery, they do really, they, they start to make real progress, right? And a large part of the reason why they make progress is because you start to get a lot of people from New England, either, you know, black people from New England or white people from New England, who come down and sort of reshape the culture. They create these schools, and they're teaching those New England values, right? It's those Puritan values of hard work, tenacity, all of that sort of stuff. And so there's all this progress, and you have people like Booker T. Washington, and Booker T. Washington was an actual slave. And then after he got his freedom, he got to go work in a salt mine, which is literally the worst job ever. And in Booker T. Washington's Up From Slavery, he tells this great story about seeing a schoolhouse, right? And that, you know, he thought that going into a schoolhouse was about as close to heaven on earth as you could get. Whoa. Like, this is a dude who wanted an education really, really badly. And that's a lot of what you find in the, you know, early black experience in, you know, the post-slavery period. And in fact, you know, blacks, you know, before sort of World War II actually had higher rates of marriage than whites, all of these sorts of things that, you know, are now supposedly a problem. And then there's this turnaround, right? The black experience starts to go south, right? It starts to get worse. And what year is this around? This is post-World War II, right? So, um, so post-slavery... Black people experience uh, a rebounding. There's They're starting to make some progress. There's ambition. Progress. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if in terms of books to read, like, you know, just because a large, you know, a large part of what I'm trying to do in general is really let's move to the place of all people are created equal. Like, let's remove all these stupid distinctions, right, and really live that principle. And the problem is, is that in order to really live that principle, you need a new narrative that beats slavery, so, you know, it's not, if you go and talk to racists, you can't just say uh, racism is bad. Like, that doesn't destroy racism. Right. Right. What destroys racism is when you make sense of the things that they know, right? They see, you know, people who are violent in the ghettos, or they see crime, or they see a lack of education, or they see that Africa is poor. And you're able to tell a better story that makes sense of the things that they know, but also comes out with the conclusion, oh, we actually all have the same potential. <clears throat> you ever... Look, watched a lot of Thomas Sowell stuff or read anything? I've seen quite a bit. I've not read any of his, but I've seen videos and I've watched him uh, talk about things. And he is a very intelligent man. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting that he was talking about Booker T. Washington. I recently listened to a podcast called America's Forgotten Heroes, and he was one of the people that were in the podcast. And he is, what he said is absolutely correct. According to the... Uh, the podcast that I listened to was Booker T. Washington wanted an education so bad 
It yeah. was ridiculous. I mean, he, 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 like you said, he worked in a salt mine. He worked in a mine. I'm not sure if it was a salt mine, but I think it was a mine. And he literally scraped together this money to because the school he wanted to go to, I think, was somewhere in Virginia. And he needed to get, when he got there to the place where the school was, I think he hadn't eaten in like a day or two. Hmm. And he goes into the schoolhouse, and one of these people that are working there, he's, they're like, clean this room and we'll we'll talk about whether or not you can come to school here or not. And so he goes through and he cleans that room like, you know, it's nobody's business. It's just he puts his heart and soul into it. Right. Then this person comes in and just like is touching everything with a white glove just to see if there's any, any anywhere. And they're finally, they're like, well, you might do. <laughs> you might do. <laughs> but that's he gets a into decent the school, job. You know, and that's, yeah. that's the thing. You know, and so he goes to school there and everything, and that, and then he ends up uh, going south and founding the Tuskegee Institute, which, if you know your World War II history, the, the Tuskegee Airmen, airmen was yeah. some of the best airmen to ever fly airplanes. You know, during the war, it was, you know, people were like, hey, Tuskegee Airmen are going to be providing our escort in and into and out of Germany for our bombing run and that's they bombing group wanted those guys because they were so good at their job and i think it had to do with the fact that i think it was booker t washington said that you pursue excellence for the sake of excellence Mm. i'm not sure if it was him but i think it was and i think that was ingrained into these men and when they got the opportunity to step up and show that you know you pursue excellence for the sake of excellence itself they were given that opportunity and they did the best job that they could do in just crappy circumstances. And, I mean, they flew their planes like nobody's business. Yeah, I like watching some of the Thomas Sowell stuff. <clears throat> A lot of uh, people today but he's right. don't like but him. I don't, I don't think the change came necessarily after World War II. I think it pretty much happened yeah, in it was 60s like, with the founding of the Great Society. Yeah, well, it was the early 50s, yeah. Because that, through, but yeah. the 60s is when well, it really blew LBJ, up when uh, LBJ signed it into law in right. the 60s. Right. Is, like 63, 64, 65, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. That was uh, a big shift. That was always one of Black Lives Matters on their website was one of the, the destroying the, the traditional nuclear family. Nuclear family. Yeah. Yes. So, and that's, uh, which you see how well that worked out so far for mm-hmm. them yes you, you can but see like i said in, in society we always want to put everything into categories and and we always want to label everything so and usually some of the easiest ways to categorize and label people is based off of appearance so they were they were telling the story in that podcast about uh, he comes south he buys this plantation house to start his school in and he's incredibly he's just he's poor he ain't got no money so he decides that one of the things that they'll do there at the tuskegee institute is they're going to make bricks and they're going to make the best bricks they can freaking make so that if anybody wants to build a brick home within say 100 miles of where they're at they're at those institute they make some dang on good bricks go over and buy your bricks for your house from them people and that's what they did I mean, that's, that's one of the things I've always tried to put into my kids. I mean, s- since they were little, 
and, you know, getting it into their head that, you know, you do a good job for the sake of doing a good job. And Mm -hmm. too many, too many times today, people are always, you know, well, if they paid me more, I would do a better job or they don't pay me enough to do this job. Right. You, You know, you should always look at, and that's why I always, I always have this list of how, how you should always look at your life. Because, you know, like your son's getting right. Has he been looking at schools? So far, his, his plan is he's going to pretty much go the route his sister went. Okay. And you know how we were at that age. I mean, we had no clue what we were doing or what we wanted to do. Or I mean, we kind of had yeah. we had some unrealistic ideas. But uh, And I, and I can't try to remember that when I talk to my kids. Um, he's real set mm-hmm. on what he's wanting to do now, um, which is good. And I think she is too. But that's why you write out your goals, whether it's a daily goal, weekly goal, yearly goal, life goals, whatever. You, there's power in putting things in paper. I, I still think it, it has a little more power if you write it on an actual piece of paper than putting it in notes in your phone, which I use notes in my phone a lot for daily things and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But there's still there's still something about writing it on a pen and paper, pencil and paper. There's still something, I don't know, that feels more concrete to me when you do that. Yes. Just from my experience in life, mistakes I've made is you don't try and just feel your way through life. You don't just, I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't be accepting of how things are and how things come and how things, but you just don't, some people, and I have for many, many years, is just take it as it comes. Whatever happens, happens. I don't put as much effort into this direction or this direction, this direction. Playing it by ear doesn't work out well most of the time. And I, I mean, I do that a lot. But you, you have to be very specific about what you want to do um, and, and what you want to be. And I know, like we were saying, at their age, it's real unclear sometimes. But you constantly focus on that so that what was that story of the that olympic rower um or was it the might have been the whole team i can't remember they they all moved in together um they were a rowing team they all moved in together and they worked together trained together lived together ate together did everything together and they always asked mm-hmm. themselves every day every th- time they did anything will this make the boat go faster and, and if no, then we don't do it because right now our only focus and goal was, I think at the time was when golden Olympics rowing. So there, I always think of that when, you know, in life, when you, when you've got goals and you're working on things and you're headed in a direction, I always, you know, think, will it make the boat go faster? Um, and then I heard a person one time, um, that's what they asked talking about regret. It might've been Gary V. And he said, what are you going to regret not doing when you're 90 years old? Because I know a lot of times we look at life and think <clears throat> we, we almost treat it like we get a do-over sometimes. Like, uh, I always want to do this and maybe I'll do it next time. But it doesn't work that way. You know, because I always, I've, I've, which I've said this to you before about talking to them that, you know, I was telling them to plan, picture in the in the future, picture your your perfect day what take a piece of paper write down what your 24-hour day would would be um don't worry about money don't worry about anything just think about what what like what would yours be wolfie think about what would your perfect day include 
how would you wake up? Where would you wake up? When would you wake up? Um, what would you do when you wake up? <laughs> oh, gee whiz. That's... I mean, are you in a, are you wanting to wake up? Am I independently wealthy? Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about any of that at this point. Worry about what do you, what is your perfect day? Because some people that might be waking up in a cabin on the top of a mountain and brew a nice pot of coffee. And some people that's waking up to an automated robot opening the curtains to an overlooked view of, you know, Beverly Hills, you know, looking up from the mountain um, in in your mansion or and some people that might be waking up next to the person you love. And hopefully that's everybody. But or, you know, waking up and hearing your kids running around downstairs or or waking up. You know, but or whatever. I mean, how does your day go? Do you, when you picture your perfect day, are you getting up, getting ready, going to work, um, dreading a job, or are you getting up and you're, I mean, what makes your day? What is, what would be your perfect day? And I said, once you get your perfect day all figured out, now figure out how much does it cost to finance that? Because it could be a hundred dollars a month, or it could be a hundred thousand dollars a month. It depends on what your perfect day is. I mean, are you wanting to wake up on your yacht in the middle of the ocean? Um, are you wanting to wake up? Oh, there's just I don't know. You've thrown so many scenarios that be the beginning of a perfect day. I mean, I could, except for the one with Hollywood. I don't think I could, you know wake up in a freaking skyscraper type building and just look out over a huge city like that and just be like, Oh, this is just a great day. Right. But for <laughs> some I'm, people I'm that would be more, I know. No, I mean, oh, sure. It would. That's, and, and that's the great thing about people. We're all different. And I mean, I could even see it, you know, if I'm on my yacht, you know, waking up in the middle of the ocean, it would be great. Uh, but the, the top of, Something's sound good too. I mean, I just, you know, it's just so many scenarios. I mean, is, is your perfect day working, waking up? Perfect day. Is your perfect day waking up in a different location every day? That you're waking up one morning and you're waking up looking from your villa, looking at the, the Eiffel Tower, you know, and then tomorrow you're waking up, you know, and you're in Cairo. And the next day you're waking up. Which that would be a very expensive lifestyle to keep up. Um, it would be travel around the here, you know. Say I wake up this morning in Southwest Virginia and I drive two or three hundred miles, and tomorrow I wake up in Florida. Right. And then yeah, there's a lot of people that live that van life. Out, and the next thing you know, I wake up maybe I'm in Texas. Right. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of people right now that are living their perfect life. Yeah in the van life and they vlog it. They, they shoot video while they're out every day. They upload to YouTube. They've got a decent following their YouTube ad revenue finances, their lifestyle, and they're living on the road every day, living their perfect life. But for them, that's that. I don't know if that would be mine. That would be just, you know, totally awesome. But for me and you, those days are almost gone. Mm. Almost, not completely. Remember, Colonel Sanders didn't start KFC till he was in his late sixties, I think. I remember a line from Excalibur. Oh, I'm not even sure if I remember it totally correctly, but I remember a line from Excalibur. 
or Arthur is getting ready to run off in battle Mordred for the last time. And he goes to Guinevere to get X because she's the one that had taken Excalibur and had hidden it away because it was the King's sword. Right. And he goes to her to get it back. And he's like, you know, he's like, uh, I often think that maybe one day I can, after, you know, my duties are done, I can come to you and I can just be a man. Then that whole just kind of like scenario that he puts out there with him and the woman that he loves. You know, and he's like, when I don't owe anything else to the future, I can just be a man. <laughs> as as the king, that's what he's, you know, that he's got this overwhelming sense of responsibility to his the kingdom. There's also another really good line in there, too, where he sees Guinevere for the first time, and Merlin's talking to him about taking a bite of an apple. Once you take that bite, he's like, it could be the best apple. And this isn't, quote, verbatim, but the whole point he's putting out or he's trying to get across to Arthur is you you could take a bite of this apple could be the best bite of apple you've ever had in your life, or it could be the nastiest bite of apple you ever had in your life, and you'll not know until you take the bite. Right. <laughs> and of course, Arthur is just so consumed with this Guinevere woman; he's just she's just so beautiful that he just doesn't even hear what Merlin's saying <laughs> and just gets up and walks off. <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> okay, but that's youth. Right. It's young people, you know, it's like, yeah, you know. Yeah, Gary V talks about that with, uh, you know, young people that, you know, especially when he talks to like 20-somethings, that you have mm -hmm. so many years left in your life. You can, you can take shots at stuff and fail so many times in life and still have the rest of your life ahead of you that, you know, you're, you're afraid to do something. You're afraid to take a shot at something, attempting something now. Um, even though if you fail, you know, it's not that big a deal. You're no farther down than you were <laughs> before you took your shot. Well, kind of like the uh, Wayne Gretzky thing, isn't it? The, what is mm -hmm. it? You miss every shot you don't take. Um, yeah. And, and especially like our kids age with medical science, they should be a generation that lives a healthy hundred or has the capability. Should be. But even even like us, I know I know I kind of joked a little bit that we were kind of it was a little too late for us. I mean, we're not that old yet. We still got along. Like I said, Colonel Sanders, yeah, he didn't start KFC until he was sixty five years old. So, and I think uh, what's his name? What was the comedian? The I get no respect. Uh, Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield. He didn't start comedy. I think he was until he was in his, I think fifties. 40s or 50s, late 40s or 50s. He didn't even start comedy. I think he did like heating and air conditioning for like the first half of his life. Mm, interesting. So, I mean, there's always time. You know, what, what, what's the, what is the, the old quote? What's, when's the, what's the best time to plant a tree uh, 20 years ago? What's the second best time today? If you have any goals, any, any motivation to do anything which everybody should, everybody should be acting on them. You know, like I said, picture your perfect day, know what you want to do and just work towards that every day. Just keep asking yourself, is this making the boat go faster? And I, I know I catch myself more and more being lazy and not wanting to do things. And as I get older, there's things that I want to do, but then sometimes it's easier to do nothing. Just need to start focusing more. Indeed. That would be awesome.
So everybody out there in the audience right now, tell your friends about the Socially Sensitive Podcast. Yep, yep, yep. Tell them to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. And tell everybody how awesome they are, especially that wolfy guy. Oh, yeah, she yeah, is. yeah. The little bitty crumbs of wisdom that, that come out of that guy's mouth. Yeah. You can't get that just anywhere. No, no. Well, you have a good day at work tomorrow. and uh, I'm going to attempt to. I have to work the kitchen this rotation. Oh, that's always fun. Yeah, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Just be sure and live your good life. <laughs> oh, just my, keep, keep I was living my best life. I would, keep keep thinking about it. Remember, yes. Colonel Sanders didn't start yeah. KFC till he was sixty five, and he still put in another good twenty five years after that, making chicken. Yeah, so you got a good thirty or forty left to go. Decide. Uh, think about what 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 your good life is, your perfect life, and hmm. and uh, My perfect life is making chicken for the people. Yeah, and ask yourself if what you're doing right now is that going to make the boat go faster. Oh well, you have a good day at work tomorrow. I will attempt to. All right. You too. Talk to you later. Have fun out there. Oh yeah. All right. See you. Bye. See you. Bye. If you haven't already, subscribe to Socially Sensitive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave a review and a five-star rating. You can also find us on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and all social media platforms by searching the tag at Socially Sensitive. Also, check out our website, sociallysensitive.com, and grab some officially licensed products.